Uh, good evening, everybody. Thank you very much indeed for coming. This is where Private Eye goes from the page onto the stage. Um, though, of course, you can buy the page version later, and there'll be a book signing um, in the foyer for the Private Eye Annual of 2014. Can I, therefore, get straight on with it and introduce the amazing cast? For your delectation this evening, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Harry Enfield, Mr. John Sessions, Miss Jan Ravens, and Lewis McLeod. Have a great day. It's not at all awkward. It's all fine. Fine. Oh, sorry, no, it's, no, it's fine. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> that that was very elegantly done. <laughs> <laughs> You can, you, you can tell the rehearsal has been exhausting. <laughs> that wasn't that. We didn't have that before. Anyway, we, we've got that now. Um, <clears throat> your patience for a moment, because it's Christmas, um, we wanted to start the show with a charity appeal. Um, and uh, we're very lucky we've got to do the appeal. Uh, Penelope Wilton, who's uh, Mrs Crawley in Downton Abbey, is doing the Eyes Christmas charity appeal. Christmas is a time for thinking of those less fortunate than ourselves, particularly those who find themselves homeless over the Yuletide season. This year, we remember in particular poor Mr. Andrew Mitchell, <laughs> who has recently lost one of his homes. He had to sell it in order to pay his legal costs in a libel action. Like many sad Christmas stories, this one has a moral, namely, don't sue newspapers or you'll end up giving millions of pounds to lawyers. <laughs> if you feel you'd like to give money to Mr. Mitchell so that he can carry on cycling around the country shouting at people, <laughs> I would ask you now just to text your donation using the word pleb. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. <coughs> Thank you. Since we're in the theatre, I wanted to do the big theatrical story of the year. And, in fact, it's the big, big story for Private Eye, generally. This is the fact that Lady Macbeth was cleared of all charges <laughs> earlier this year. This, this story was covered in Private Eye of Newt. In an astonishing twist to the longest-running court drama of the 11th century, the flame-haired Lady Macbeth was yesterday found innocent of all 412 charges she faced. Her husband, Lord Macbeth, however, was found guilty of all the same charges. The jury decided unanimously that Lady Macbeth knew nothing whatsoever about the hacking to death which was going on in her castle. Her counsel had argued that, despite her close relationship with Lord Macbeth, Lady Macbeth was not involved in any way with the hacking to death of King Duncan, and that no direct evidence of any kind had survived to link her with the hacking. Lady Macbeth had explained, I am very keen on routine housekeeping, and I always want everything washed away. The only person in my household left with blood on his hands was Lord Macbeth, although I did not, of course, know anything of what he was up to at the time. Lord Macbeth, after being convicted, explained by way of mitigation that he had no idea that hacking to death was against the law. <laughs> and that his lawyers had never told him that this practice was a criminal offence. He said, Ah, everyone in Dark Ages Scotland was up to that kind of thing. <laughs> and for someone in my position, it was standard trade practice. Oh, <laughs> Hello. <laughs> when the shock verdicts were announced to near universal astonishment, one observer said, This was truly extraordinary. I would have thought we were more likely to see Burnham Wood moving to Dunsinane <laughs> than Lady Macbeth walking free. Said another, In my view, the whole thing was a load of hubble-bubble toil and trouble. It was nothing more than a witch trial. <laughs> Thank you, Lady Macbeth. <clears throat> she, of course, got away with Murdoch. Um, 
enough of making things up. Um, it's time um, for our um, amazing Dumb Britain. Now, these are real answers to real questions in real quiz shows, compiled by the extraordinary Marcus Berkman, who I hope is here. These are all genuine, and you have to remember that. For this first round, they all come from a programme called The Chase, compared by Bradley Walsh, who we're very fortunate to have here tonight. <laughs> so, we take it away with Dumb Britain. These are real. Which British Prime Minister had the middle name Hilda? John Prescott. <laughs> <laughs> According to the song, what means of transport did Bonnie Prince Charlie use to escape to the Isle of Skye? A horse box. <laughs> <laughs> Whose tombstone in Liverpool inspired a Beatles song? Penny Lane. <laughs> What exclusive nightclub is named after the widow of Sir James Goldsmith? Stringfellow. <laughs> <laughs> King Charles I was imprisoned on what island before his execution? Alcatraz. <laughs> Which British Prime Minister shared his name with a biblical garden? Cameron. <laughs> Which barrier did Chuck Yeager break flying the Bell X-1 aircraft in 1947? The Thames. <laughs> <laughs> On what day of the week did Robinson Crusoe find his companion? Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> the Nun's Priest's Tale is a story by which 14th century English author? J.K. Rowling. <laughs> the title of which Shakespeare play means everything turns out okay? Macbeth. <laughs> what fish are traditionally given as prizes at fairgrounds? Herring. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's quite enough, Dumbrin. <laughs> um, Private Eye does try to be an upmarket magazine, and we exclusively run poetry. In particular, we run the eulogist and threnogist... Threnodist? Sorry about that. E.J. Thrib, um, who writes memorial poems. Um, we'll have a number of these this evening. This is the first. In memoriam, Ray Dolby, inventor of the noise reduction system. So, farewell then, Ray Dolby. At the flick of a switch, you reduced the audible levels of tape hiss. Now, sadly, you have been switched off. <laughs> and all is silence. <laughs> Not only do we encourage poetry, we really try and encourage other literary forms, such as the diary. We're very lucky that the former Prime Minister, uh, Sir John Major, allows us to print extracts from his diary. This is a recent entry. Monday. <laughs> I was not inconsiderably surprised to turn on the television whilst eating my new favourite cereal, Farage's Fruit Loops, <laughs> to find a familiar figure on the screen dressed up in jungle gear and standing near a spider. What are you watching? asked my wife, Norman. <laughs> and what's that poisonous creature doing? I have no idea, I said. It's Edwina Curry, she replied. <laughs> oh, is it? I had no idea. But it is, in my judgment, of no interest, I said. Then why are your glasses all steamed up, she asked, <laughs> unhelpfully. You're not in the jungle. Why are you all hot and bothered? <laughs> At this point, I suggested that we should stop this argument as I was busy writing a not altogether unimportant speech about immigration and European border controls. Allow me to help, she said. I can think of at least one person who shouldn't be allowed back into the country and whose freedom of movement should be restricted to a tank full of scorpions in the Australian bush forever. And who is that? I inquired innocently. But instead of answering, she accidentally tipped a bowl of soggy cereal all over my head, which did at least remove the steam from my spectacles. Oh, yes. John Major. Poetry, diaries, and, of course, the romantic novel. Private Eye has its own resident romantic novelist, Dame Sylvie Crin, uh, 
a distinguished author who tends to focus on problems in love. This is an extract from her new novel, which is called Never Too Old. Octogenarian media tycoon Rupert Murdoch <laughs> sat alone in his penthouse suite on the 94th floor of the 20th century Foxy Noxy building. <laughs> Once expensively decorated by fashionable interior designer Kelly Hopless, <laughs> but now an empty shell, the furniture long gone, even the light bulbs taken. He was reading a note his beautiful ex-wife, Wendy, had written to herself. I love Tony. He has a really good body and great legs and butt. Oh, jeez! exclaimed the world's most powerful communications technology capitalist. <coughs> What's wrong with my butt? Well, I may be 89, <laughs> but I've got the butt of an 85-year-old. <laughs> Wendy's treacherous words stabbed him through the heart. Tony Blair is so charming. Rupert exploded in anger. I'll give him charm. Everyone knows I'm the most charming bloke this side of Gulagong Gulch. <laughs> I've got charming shitloads. <laughs> I can sweep a Sheila off her feet just by opening my wallet. <laughs> His tarred eyes returned to the sheet of paper. I miss Tony's lovely smile and his gleaming teeth. It was too much. Rupert screwed the note into a ball. I've got bloody good teeth. Look at them there in the jar. <laughs> They're as good as the day I bought them. The very next day, a furious Rupert was in the oak-panelled offices of his New York lawyers, Shyster and Crook, <laughs> facing senior partner Morty Shyster. I asked you and Miss Dung here today in order to discuss the Blair issue. There was a crashing sound as the figure of Wendy, the crouching tigress, smashed through the wall and presented herself in front of the boardroom table. The door was open, Miss Dung. You didn't have to destroy the office. Shyster remonstrated, but Wendy laughed. Ha ha! Looper can pay! All man pay for everything now! <laughs> You bloody fortune cookie hunter! You dirty diggers, gull digger! Rupert, you! Rupert growled. He felt like a wounded wallaby at the end of the hunt when the dingoes are gnawing at the nuts. <laughs> you betrayed me with that bastard Blair! How you know, old man? You hacked my phone! Rupert seethed. He'd had enough, and the veins on top of his ancient head throbbed with fury. Not one more word. You keep this up, you hoisin' happy. I love a bloody coronary. There was a pause as Wendy smiled and then slowly took out her iTone and speed dialed. Hello, Tony, it's me. As she put Mr Blair on speakerphone, Rupert could clearly hear the oleaginous tones of the former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Oh, I say... Hello, <laughs> Deng Dong. <laughs> Is that you, Bendy Wendy? <laughs> You're a very naughty girl. A howl of rage could be heard all across Long Island, from Sex on Fifth Avenue to the Nanfucket Sound. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the cast. <laughs> <laughs> It's now time for something more educational, and it's time to bring on Private Eye's uh, resident parodist, the great Mr. Craig Brown. <laughs> Mr. Brown will start by channeling the right-wing pundit and pedant, Mr. Simon Heffer, uh, who offers style guides in correct English to the newspapers. This is Mr. Heffer's A to Z to correct English. A is for access. Access is a noun, not a verb. Can I access your website is thus doubly wrong, since there is no such thing as a website. <laughs> a web is the gossamer structure produced by a spider. A site is the location used for a town or building. 
So were it to exist at all, which it does not, a website would refer only to that location chosen by a spider within which to weave its sticky gossamer structure. <laughs> by this, I do not mean that the proposed gossamer structure is to be composed of sticks. I'm employing the ad adjective sticky in its primary sense of tending or intended to stick or <laughs> adhere. <laughs> a is also for Andes. Andes is the range of mountains which forms the western fringe of South America. Today, I am climbing the Andes. My lady wife has kindly agreed to carry the hamper. <laughs> Andes, Andes must on no account be confused with and he's, which is the sloppy manner in which the poorly house-trained breed of American youth invariably armed with a repeat action shotgun and chewing on a hot dog, prefers to pronounce the three words, and he is. In the unfortunate circumstance of a visit to America, it is important to remember that over there, a hot dog is a sausage-based comestible rather than a perspiring canine. <laughs> Poor unfortunates in the later stages of Americanization might also be prone to terming a four-legged animal to which they may or may not be sexually attracted a hot dog, <laughs> though this is to be avoided by civilized persons. And he's must never be confused with Andy's, which means belonging to a gentleman called Andrew whose perfectly acceptable Christian name has become hopelessly corrupted by vulgar and over-familiar colleagues. A notable victim of this linguistic slide is the egregious, romper-suited former stage and television personality, Mr. Andrew Pandy. <laughs> is also for arsehole. <laughs> arsehole is the preferred aperture through which to prognosticate, particularly on matters about, concerning, or appertaining to correct English. The arsehole is located between the buttocks, directly south of the lumbar region, and due north of the back upper leg. I am talking out my arsehole is incorrect. I am talking out of my arsehole <laughs> is correct. <laughs> Mr. Craig Wells. <laughs> More poetry from E.J. Thrib. In memoriam, David Coleman, sports commentator and the inspiration for privatised column, Coleman Balls. So, farewell then, David Coleman. Yes, you were the man behind the balls. Oops, I've just done one there. <laughs> David Goldman. <laughs> More death, I'm afraid. This was uh, the big news this year. Nelson Mandela died. Um, there were a huge number of tributes to him, lasting many, many months. But Private Eye provided a digest of the top political tributes to Nelson Mandela. First up, David Cameron. Can I just put on my very, very serious face? <laughs> this is one of those moments in life where you just have to lower your voice, stoop a bit, furrow your brow, and speak in hushed tones. It is a measure of how seriously I take this news that I'm not even going to suggest that my tribute is a great deal more heartfelt than some other people's <laughs> mentioning no names, <laughs> such as Ed and Nick. No cosy sicker we we Now, who's died again? Next up, Mr. Gordon Brown. It was only Mr. Mandela's example <laughs> that got me through the ten long years from 1997 to 2007. <laughs> when I was imprisoned in the Treasury by the hated Blair regime. <laughs> like Mr. Mandela, I bore my incarceration with a lack of dignity and humility, always refusing to forgive anyone. When I made my long trudge to freedom and reached number 10, I united the entire nation in hating me. <laughs> Lord Kinnock. 
Nelson Mandela was totally and utterly and utterly totally <laughs> the most utter and total statesman, politician, saint, socialist, Welshman, <laughs> lover of rugby, orator, a devoted husband of Glenis in the total history of the universe. <laughs> Hello, Sheffield! <laughs> we'll all right! Mr. Jeff Boycott. Eh, the man's a disgrace. To go when he's on 95, just five years short of 100, <laughs> when his country needed him most, it's rubbish statesmanship, is that? <laughs> Mr. Robert Mugabe. One of uh, my most treasured possessions is Nelson Mandela's book. From there I learned much wisdom, particularly about the values of locking people up in prison for a very long time <laughs> and uh, torturing them. I didn't like the end where the prisoner got out, which rather ruined it for me. <laughs> And Mrs. Winnie Mandela. I laid a respectful wreath on Nelson's grave. Well, more of a rubber tire, really, but uh, <laughs> the thought was there. <laughs> Enough of Mandela. <clears throat> We're obviously more concerned about the future and our future political leaders, which was great news this year. Boris Johnson told us he was no longer going to be the Mayor of London and he was going to stand in the constituency of wherever it is that will have me. <laughs> uh, Conservative. Uh, and his personal message to the voters of that constituency was leaked to private eye. Here it is. Pwah! <laughs> Pwah! What who? Chaps and chapesses. Ah, 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 there's been a lot of tittle-tattle relating to yours truly, ah, particularly about why old Bojo jam-shaped from being London mayor, mayor, ah, ah, and grabbed this safe, ah, Tory seat of Oxbridge, or is it Uxbridge? Well, anyway, same difference. The idle scandal-mongers are claiming that my cunning plan is to get elected just in time to save the Tory party when Dismal Dave comes a cropper. All I can say is that this is simply a pile of piffle, a truckload of Tommy Rot, a gigabyte of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you that from the bottom of my heart, that old Bozza hasn't got the slightest intention of rocking the boat, let alone chucking the skipper overboard <laughs> and uh, taking the helm in order to steer the good ship Tory boy safely back into port. I <laughs> know uh, my only motivation is uh, returning to life as a lowly member of parliament is to serve you, my constituents in this glorious county of Morsex. Sorry, Middlesex. Ah, <laughs> uh, that is why I'm prepared to make this solemn promise to you, the voters of wherever it is I'm standing, uh, which is, thank God, in the southeast of England, uh, and best of all, a bicycle ride from Downing Street, <laughs> that I will be only too happy to serve you as your prime minister. Ah, yours and hope, Boris Churchill. <laughs> In memory of David Coleman, we have the column commentator balls, which is the same thing, it's gaffes and fluffs by real commentators, collected and appears every issue of the eye. This year it was the World Cup, uh, the issue where we ran the cover of the England squad flying in, standing at the top of the steps of the gangway to the plane, with a bubble coming out of the pilot's captain, captain's cabin saying, um, shall I leave the engines running? <laughs> uh, this year, then, it's all football, but these are all real. Tony Pulis, Radio 5 Live. I really hope Spain don't go out on a damp squid. <laughs> Adrian Childs, ITV. Nigeria are knocking on the doorbell. <laughs> Glenn Hoddle on ITV. The problem for Al Jazeera, I mean Algeria. <laughs> Ian Abrahams on TalkSport. Well, my Spanish begins and ends with paella and pizza. <laughs> <laughs> 
Clive Tildesley on ITV. Uh, many of the Iranian players show their Christian name on their shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Gareth Thomas on Radio 2. There's no place in racism for football. <laughs> Adrian Childs again on ITV. Not many players get three cracks of the cherry. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Pardew on BBC One. Oh, it was it was handbags at half mouse, really. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Savage on Radio 5 Live. Your son, however old he or she may be. <laughs> Steve Cottrell on BBC One. I don't know whether we deserve to win, but we deserve the win. <laughs> Lou Macari, Radio 5 Live. One point would be ideal, but three would be better. <laughs> Pat Nevin on Radio 5 Live again. Liverpool's spark has run out of a little bit of steam. <laughs> and finally, Neil Mellor on Sky Sports News. It was a highly contagious decision. <laughs> <laughs> Come and balls. Uh, uh, now on to the international stage. Private Eye tries to encourage um, uh, people to learn languages, and one we're particularly keen on is Franglais, uh, which is a very useful mix of French and English. Uh, this was part of a course in which the circumstances of the affair between the President of France, Monsieur Hollande, and Madame Rottweiler um, <laughs> were turned into a little scene. I'd like you to imagine you're in a private hospital, a hospital dealing with high stress. In the bed is Madame Rottweiler, and the visitor coming in is none other than the President. Franglais, <laughs> here it is. Ma pauvre petite Rockweiler, j'ai écouté sur le grapevine que tu allais bleus. Qui êtes-vous dans le helmet? Ah, pardon, j'ai forgotten que je n'étais pas visiting ma fancy femme. L'actresse fruitée. Un moment, je removerai mon helmet. Voilà. Oh non, c'est le rat d'amour. <laughs> Comment dare tu? C'est président rat d'amour à toi. Now, calm you down. J'ai brought toi une boîte de chocolat, un bouquet de fleurs, un bunch de grapes, et aussi un magasin pour ton amusement. Oh, merci, mon amour. Les bleus sont disparus. Je suis cheered up. <laughs> tu me m'aimes après tout. Phew, j'ai got away avec it. <laughs> Attends un moment. Qui est le fat homme stupide dans le helmet sur le cover de this édition de Closer? <gasps> Jute alors. Pas un bon choix de magazine, je pense. Oh, c'est un picture de toi leaving ton nest d'amour après le legover. <laughs> Tu es un right bâtard avec ton morceau sur le side. Non, non. Le seul leg over, c'est le one I did to get sur le motorbike. Oh, très drôle. Viens ici, Monsieur Rolipoli Casanova. Je vais batter you avec le rolled-up magazine. Beef, bath, bob. Ow, ow. Excusez-moi while je put mon helmet back on. Je thought que j'étais ton premier lady. <laughs> More common 50th, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the cast. <clears throat> More poetry. In memoriam, Yang Song Thek. Sa. Farewell, then, Kim Jong-un's uncle. <laughs> now, 
he has got a shot of you. Literally. <laughs> and it's the end of your Korea. <laughs> We're exactly halfway through the show now, and as is traditional, it's time for an advertisement. Um, like everyone else, we've taken an ad from a perfume company. A new fragrance from the house of UKIP. Farage, poor homme. <laughs> Make yourselves irresistible to women with a whiff of... Farage, poor homme. <laughs> A subtle blend of cigarettes, real ale, wax jacket, and driving glove. <laughs> Just one smell drives the fairer sex a mad. In fact, completely bonkers. Farage pour homme. Guaranteed to make the lady's eyes swivel and vote for someone crackers. <laughs> TV's Godfrey Bloom says, one dab of Farage. And the sluts are all over you. <laughs> London, New York, not Paris, and certainly not Bongo Bongo Land. <laughs> Back to the more <coughs> serious matters. Um, Private Eye does not um, ignore modern developments. We're very up with social media and the internet and that sort of thing. And we noticed earlier this year, <laughs> we noticed that Google were in a lot of trouble for um, holding people's data. And uh, the EU decided that some material should be taken down if it was considered out of date or irrelevant. Now, luckily, in Britain, we had our Deputy Prime Minister, Nick Clegg, to speak about this. And he demanded his right to be forgotten. <laughs> I back this judgment all the way. <laughs> Whenever I Google my own name, all I see are hundreds of links to things that have been written about me that are utterly biased and incredibly rude. Not to mention, in some cases, as much as six months old. There is one story that comes up time after time, criticising me for breaking some pledge I had given about tuition fees. Stuff like this should be deleted from Google's database as being totally out of date and a clear breach of my human rights. These obsolete items should be replaced with much more positive and up-to-date references to all the achievements I've managed to force through against the wishes of my evil coalition partners, the Tories. <laughs> what people have a right to read about are such things as my victory on free school meals for old-age pensioners. <laughs> <laughs> An alternative voting system for single fathers. <laughs> and um, a nice picture of Miriam with some kittens saying... Vote Lib Dem. <laughs> and I'm sure we're all thoroughly convinced. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> Apart from threats um, <clears throat> from the uh, viral world, there have been real threats this year. The threat of Ebola. And Britain's press rose to the occasion. Private Eye ran a digest of the headlines um, of the newspapers when Ebola appeared to be about to come to this country. The Daily Telegraph led with, Free market will eventually defeat Ebola, claims new study. <laughs> the Daily Mail. BBC, responsible for Ebola outbreak <laughs> and falling house prices. <laughs> the Times. Enough indecision. It is surely time to bomb Ebola before it's too late. <laughs> the Evening Standard. Top celebrities with better class of Ebola than you photographed an exclusive West End night spot. The Guardian. Ebola spread equally among population, unlike savage impact of Tory benefit cuts. <laughs> the Daily Express. How will dying of Ebola affect your pension? The Sun. Drop dead gorgeous. Page three bowler stunners inside. <laughs> Buzzfeed. What strain of Ebola have you got? Take our fun quiz while you can. <laughs> and lastly, the Daily Star. Ebola coming to Britain. 
Have United paid too much for him? <laughs> the big political story of the year was, of course, the possible breakup of the United Kingdom. Um, Scotland going it alone, possibly after the referendum. Private Eye chose to cover this through the medium of verse. Uh, we employed a poet, probably the worst poet ever known, called William McGonagall, very famous Scottish poet, and he took on this huge theme. Um, it's such a big theme, we require two Scottish actors to give the real flavour of that referendum. T'was in the year 2014 that the Scots took the gravest decision that had ever been. Should they say yes to proudly standing alone or no and continue under the hated English yoke to groan? <laughs> On one side, hoping to lead his people to be free, stood the charismatic figure of Alex Salmond, SNP. <laughs> On the other, the boring Mr. Alistair Darling, who quite rightly had the rebel Scotch soul snarling. If you leave, said Darling, you can't keep the pound. <laughs> and Scotland's finances will no longer be soon. <laughs> Oh, yes, Alex replied, it can easily be done. <laughs> but as to how, he had no ideas, not one. Surely, said Darling, you have a plan B. That's right, Alex told him. We'll all wait and see. <laughs> then Alastair retorted with a gleeful mien. What about the EU, the armed forces, and... The Queen. Alex hit back. We'll have a better NHS. And the pendulum swung briefly to the camp voting yes. Then Alastair produced his most deadly point of all, which had the good folk of Scotland screaming up the wall. <laughs> you realise this means the end of the BBC. <laughs> and the English will send back here Kirsty Wark, Andrew Neil, and James Nochty. <laughs> Confronted with this appalling vision, the electorate could only come to one decision. Out to the polling booths, they all did go to record a unanimous vote of no! It's time to welcome back again, Mr. Craig Brown. Uh, we all know that the world of Twitter is a very dangerous place, and you can make a fool of yourself there, even the brightest amongst us. Uh, Professor Richard Dawkins um, has a very interesting tweet thread, which luckily he feeds directly to private eye. <laughs> Earlier this year, he was very exercised about the ice bucket challenge which I'm sure you all remember. No. <laughs> it was very big on Twitter, in the way that things are briefly. Here he is, exclusively, to Private Eye, Richard Dawkins' tweets. Tweet! Ice Bucket Challenge, a loathsome reminder of the sheer unabashed cruelty of religious belief. <laughs> Tweet! Predictable tsunami of stupidity greets my condemnation of Ice Bucket Challenge. Okay, pouring icy water over a human being might not be conventionally religious, but it is irrational enough to be logically con considered as such. Tweet. No, I would be happy to subject an unborn fetus to the ice bucket challenge. <laughs> but that is not the point. Tweet. Can't you listen? I did not say that every fetus should be subjected to the ice bucket challenge. On the other hand, it would probably teach it a valuable early lesson in religious barbarity. <laughs> Tweet. R.I.P. Dickie Attenborough, a great admirer of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet.
Do I detect the hand of Pope Francis behind the ice bucket challenge? <laughs> he clearly knows that only by freezing our brains can he force humans into irrational beliefs. <laughs> Tweet. See me on YouTube explaining position on ice bucket challenge in greater philosophical detail to Jon Snow at Channel 4 News. Tweet. Ice bucket challenge worse than mild paedophilia, but better than date rape. <laughs> If you think that's an endorsement of mild paedophilia, go away and learn to think logically. <laughs> Tweet. I didn't say that mild paedophilia was better than the ice bucket challenge. I said the ice bucket challenge was worse than mild paedophilia. If you think that's the same, you need your brain mending. <laughs> Tweet. Religion is pants. But not all pants are religious. <laughs> Tweet, it is as illogical to believe that a pair of Y-fronts could hold religious beliefs <laughs> as it is to believe that a pair of boxer shorts could be an atheist. <laughs> Tweet, but if Y-fronts or boxer shorts were to be proved capable of rational thought, then the boxer shorts would clearly be right. Tweet, therefore it follows that Y-fronts are much more stupid than boxer shorts. <laughs> Question, how many Y-fronts have ever been awarded the Nobel Prize? Answer, none. <laughs> <That's very bad. clears throat> we do try and keep abreast of what's happening online, um, including the new words that have entered the language and have been included in this year's Oxford Dictionary Online. These are a selection exclusive to Private Eye. YOLO, an acronym. You only live once. YODO. You only die once. YODA. Die you only once do. <laughs> Yo Blair. Lots of people die. <laughs> Yo Sushi. You only eat raw fish once. Yo-yo. Celebrity weight problems. Bojo, acronym. Boris, one job only. Used ironically. Humble brag. Middle-aged publisher tries to use modern slang to make dictionary look cool. Doesn't work. Melvin brag. Northern novelist who uses historic present tense to try to make Radio 4 sound interesting. <laughs> Side boob. Side view of a female breast, usually appearing on the male online. Amaze balls. Side view of testicle through poorly chosen boxer shorts. <laughs> Ed balls. Even more unpleasant sight of a poorly chosen shadow <laughs> chancellor. Total balls. New additions to the Oxford Dictionary <laughs> Online. <laughs> Thanks to the Oxford Dictionary. <laughs> Um, it's not only those high-prow adult uh, readers we're interested in Private Eye. We try and cater to the children's market. Private Eye actually includes uh, a magazine called Nursery Times, which covers the big events in nursery land. Um, and there was no bigger event this year than the fact that Mr Toad and his friends were actually driven out of the wild wood. Um, I hand you over to the narrator, Beatrix Harry Potter. The controversial, car-loving Mr. Toad once again found himself in hot water after a trip to the wild wood in his new car enraged the local weasels and stoats. Driving with his friends Ratty and Hamster, Mr. Toad's car was attacked after the woodland creatures took offence at his number plate F-U-W-E-A-5-E-L-5, <laughs> which could be read F-U-Weasels. Mr. Toad was shocked. When I brought this number plate, I had no idea <laughs> that it would be in any way inflammatory. It's just a pure coincidence. He lied. <laughs> the Wildwood residents found another number plate in the car, which read PI550FF5TO85. 
which could be read as piss-off stoats. <laughs> the loud-mouthed presenter of Toad Gear told assembled rodents... This is another amazing and totally unbelievable coincidence. <laughs> there we were, innocently offending everyone. And then we found ourselves subjected to a brutal attack. His friend the hamster said, I'm getting used to this. I've almost died in a car with Mr Toad once before. <laughs> when asked whether he deliberately set out to upset everyone, Mr Toad said, This is the biggest load of poop-poop in the world. <laughs> Late news. The final of the Great Nurseryland Bake Off ended in chaos today as one of the finalists' signature bakes jumped out of the oven and ran away <laughs> shouting, Run! Run as fast as you can! <laughs> you can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread man. <laughs> he was chased by Mel Pinky and Sue Perky making innuendos about his ginger nuts. <laughs> Not only do we run children's magazines, we also try and run old boys' newsletters. Um, we're particularly fond of the School of St Cakes, which is a fee-paying independent school in the Midlands, where many of us attended. And uh, there is an old cakes newsletter, News of Old Boys, which... Uh, this extract was from this year. Richard Snellgrove, Borings 1972 to 1978, has become under-manager of Specsavers in Hemel Hempstead. He is still in touch with Simon Perkins, retakes 1969 to 1979, who is working as an estate agent in Haywards Heath. Colin Collins, Dullard's 2004 to 2008, and Jeremy Harbottle, Bricks, 2004 to 2008, recently married, <laughs> becoming St. Cake's first gay wedded couple. Good luck to them as they set off together to New Zealand to run a photocopying business in Wellington. <laughs> <clears throat> Omar Jihadi, Plonkers, 2010 to 2014, is now known as Mohammed bin Laden Al-Qaeda <laughs> and has just been appointed to the post of Commander-in-Chief of ISIS forces in the assault on Baghdad, <laughs> where he keeps in touch with Sharia Sharifi, dupes 2010 to 2014, who is now known as Mohammed Al-Qaeda Laden bin. <laughs> He's working as Deputy Head of Recruitment for the new Islamic State with special responsibility for social media. Writes Mohammed, greetings to all infidel old Cakeians. <laughs> Embrace the true faith or die in a sea of blood. <laughs> Congratulations to them both for doing so well in their chosen profession. If you have any news of any OCs, please do let the editor and the security services know. <laughs> the royal family. We can't get through a whole evening without them. Um, and one of Private Eye's um, most celebrated columnists is, of course, Pippa Middleton, who combines the column with a party business. This year, she had a particularly interesting column. Uh, the column's called Pippa's Tips, and it was... <laughs> how to throw a birthday party for a one-year-old royal baby. Get hold of a one-year-old royal baby. Maybe your sister has one. <laughs> Hold a party. Birthday cakes are always popular at birthday parties. And uh, in our family, we have a tradition of putting candles on a cake. <laughs> now, if the party is for a one-year-old, you will need at least one candle. <laughs> Balloons are great fun, but create far more of an atmosphere if you remember to blow them up. <laughs> Sing something appropriate. I find happy birthday always seems to suit the occasion. Uh, but do remember, do remember to change the name. Uh, happy birthday, dear Bunty Ricketts and Smythe may not work every time. For example, if the baby isn't called Bunty Ricketts and Smythe. <laughs> Play games. Uh, my favourite is lacrosse. Um, although toddlers seem to prefer pass the parcel or pin the tail on the donkey. Um, 
Uh, note, do not use a rail donkey. Uh, a nice touch is to give the one-year-old a birthday message from the Queen. Um, well, most people have to wait another 99 years. <laughs> it's easy, really. Uh, as my brother-in-law, Prince Harry, said to me recently, nice tips, Pippa. <laughs> Jan Raymond. <laughs> Uh, time to play a quick round of Dumb Britain 2. Now, these are questions from shows fronted by Alexander Armstrong, Sandy Toxvig, Andy Peters, Nick Knowles and Dale Winton. So, if you try and imagine me as a combination of all of them. <laughs> what was the English composer Elgar's first name? Wolfgang. <laughs> Which G.O. wrote Animal Farm? George Osborne. <laughs> Cardinal Wolsey officiated at Prince William's wedding. True or false? True. <laughs> In the famous equation E equals MC squared, what does the letter E stand for? Einstein. <laughs> what foodstuff is often grown in paddy fields? Um, potatoes? <laughs> <laughs> Handlebar, Fu Manchu and Dali are all types of what? Martial arts. <laughs> Who was the only female member of the royal family to join the armed forces and serve in World War II? The Duke of Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote the Ballad of Reading Jail after his incarceration there? Gary Glitter. <laughs> <laughs> Which month of the year is named after Julius Caesar? August. Born in 1769, what was the name of the first Duke of Wellington? Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> in, in which year did World War I end? 1979. Where does an arboreal animal live? In Arborea. <laughs> <laughs> the Jungfrau is a well-known peak in which country? China. <laughs> it lives in a hutch. Bugs Bunny is one of them. <laughs> An owl. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, Buzz Lightyear was on the Apollo 11 space mission. True or false? True. <laughs> Dumbrin. <laughs> Time for a last bit of poetry. In memoriam, Maria von Trapp, 99, the last survivor of the family immortalised in the sound of music. So long. <laughs> Farewell, then. <laughs> Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> Goodbye. 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 Jen Ravens! <laughs> A quick Christmas special. Uh, Band-Aid produced um, a new version of their song, which proved very controversial. A lot of people thought it was patronising and wrong. And uh, we, luckily, were allowed to reprint a special from The Guardian uh, talking about which other Christmas songs were patronising and wrong. The research here was done by Holly Toynbee. Do they know it's Christmas? Uh, yes, of course they do, <laughs> since there are 500 million Christians in Africa. White Christmas. What's wrong with a black one? They have Christmas in Africa too, you know. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. <laughs> oh, no, it isn't. It's quite a big town, actually. <laughs> and it doesn't lie still because it's occupied by the Israelis. <laughs> Thank you very much. We three kings of Orient are. Are you? <laughs> Where are the queens then? Stuck at home while you're out with your mates, following stars. <laughs> Good King Wenceslas. Uh, no, he wasn't. 
What sort of a country consigns its old-age peasants to spending the Feast of Stephen collecting their own fuel? I wish it could be Christmas every day. Huh, thanks, wizard. What about Diwali and Eid and Hanukkah? No room for them on the calendar, apparently. <laughs> Typical. Mistletoe and wine. Well, that's just an incitement to sexual harassment. I mean, you know, why not throw in Rohypnol while you're at it, Sir Cliff? <laughs> And lastly, a wonderful Christmas time. No, it isn't, Sir Paul. The world's a very unhappy place. As you'd know if you listened to all the charity singles <laughs> that are out at this time of year. Honestly. And Merry Christmas to you too. <laughs> uh, finally, Christmas. Um, wouldn't be Christmas uh, without a letter to the Telegraph from Sir Herbert Gusset. Um, Sir Herbert Gusset has had <laughs> an interesting year, and his political allegiance, you may not be surprised to know, has rather shifted. <laughs> Sir. May I use your esteemed letters column to congratulate Mr. Farage on his recent election victories. His recently joined members of the United Kingdom Independence Party, my good lady wife and I, are delighted to have become part of a great radical tradition in British politics. We were particularly pleased to see Mr. Farrago wearing a Bayer tapestry tie after his triumph at Hastings. <laughs> a tie which we felt said it all about ghastly foreigners <laughs> coming over here from Europe and ruining the country with their Appalling Norman language, <laughs> architecture, food, administrative system, judicial framework, and cultural sophistication, which enabled England to dominate the world for the next millennium. Anyway, as one of the fine UKIP spokesmen put it, I think it was Mr. Reckless, or possibly Mr. Useless, <laughs> or even Nig Nigel Legless himself, <laughs> UKIP, like Lady Gusset and myself, is part of a long line of anti-establishment outsiders and rebels, which includes the levelers, the chartists, the suffragettes, the borrowers, <laughs> the ramblers, the toll puddle martyrs, the Birmingham Six, the cast of Made in Dagenham, the Beatles, the pre-Raphaelites, the SWP, the Cumber Bitches, <laughs> and of course, the Monster Raving Looney Party. <laughs> Yours lying down in a darkened room, <laughs> Sir Herbert. Guess it! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much indeed for your indulgence. Um, there will be a signing session in the foyer of uh, the annual, which contains a lot of those pieces. But can I, um, after thanking you very much for your patience, thank this absolutely incredible cast. Ladies and gentlemen, the cast! <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you.